how the heck are you? I'm very good, thanks. Well, strictly speaking, of course, you asked me this question last week and the week before, but due to international Playboy commitments and technical difficulties, uh, we were unable to bring you Rankcast for two weeks in a row. So if you want to know what happened to what should have been Rankcasts 144 and 145, the first episode was recorded before Ed went on a little jaunt to Barcelona for work, and then he couldn't find the time whilst in Barcelona to edit the podcast. Did manage to find the time to go and see the Classico, but we won't hold that against him, will we? listeners uh, we we talked about this then on episode 145 uh, as it should have been which didn't get released because despite the fact that we spent 40 minutes setting up the recording and then an hour and a bit recording the recording was lost in the midst of some bizarre curse that befell the rant cast for a couple of weeks but hopefully touch wood the curse has been lifted uh, by Roy Keane's controversy and Jose Mourinho's clear desire for the job Cristiano Ronaldo's heartbreaking return and a couple of absolute wonder goals that United have scored since we were last on the metaphorical airwaves well indeed of course you know what has really happened uh, the Galuminati have had their own back you know we, we took them down by exposing the dark deeds that David Gill has been doing and uh, he's been forced to resign as Manchester United Chief Executive as a result this is their final curse on the rank cast to destroy a couple of weeks worth of recordings yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there was we we did talk at some length about Gills. I can't remember what really happened and what just happened between the two of us now. But we talked at some length about Edward Woodward being uh, the man who's going to replace David Gill at the helm, and some of our concerns about the fact that he's a business guy, not a football guy, which means Sir Alex is obviously going to have a pretty key role in appointing his own successor. Well, and in fact, uh, Alex said that uh, he'll be joining the board of directors. So let's combine a couple of stories into one there. Yeah, Gil's gone and a, a slimy marketing guy has replaced him. No, not Peter Kenyon, but uh, Edward Woodward, uh, also known as the Equalizer. Is he, is he trying to equalise anything? Maybe, because he's on such a bent to increase United's commercial revenues that United are actually on course to catch up with Real Madrid and Barcelona in the, their money leaks. But uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes over the next few years. And, and Ferguson talked quite openly a couple of weeks ago about uh, becoming a director at Manchester United. So that whole thesis about him riding off into the sunset and having nothing to do with football again, as he once promised, uh, appears like it uh, won't come true. No, so he's going to have uh, Matt Busby's old office then at Old Trafford and cast a shadow both in statue, stadium name, stand name and actual physical presence over whoever gets the job next. I have to say, at the end of the Madrid game, Mourinho slipped out. I mean, quite a different story to some of his victories at Old Trafford over the years. Slipped off quietly just before the end of the game uh, to avoid kind of attracting any attention to himself, thus massively attracting a load of attention to himself. But a gesture of humility and uh, contrition to the Old Trafford faithful who he'll soon be serving on their touchline. That's one way of spinning it, of course. Yeah, that he's so desperate to get the United job that he was prepared to uh, move every PR mountain in order to quell any disquiet from the United fans after the game. I mean, he did say, and we'll, we'll come on to talk about the Real Madrid game, of course, but he did say things like uh, the, the best side lost and uh, I can't understand why it was a card. It could easily have been a yellow and and so on and so on and so on. He's He's been very humble in the past week, hasn't he? You know, angling for a job much. Yeah, very clearly. At least keeping the option firmly alive, isn't he? Of being Sir Alex's successor. Alright, so there's been a bunch of football before the Madrid thing even happened. I haven't been able to read any of the post-Madrid articles or even watch the GIFs on Beautifully Red yet. Um, I'm hoping that talking about it on the podcast sort of flushes it out of the system and we can get we can all get a bit of collective catharsis. 
Let's look back. The QPR game happened, notable for two things. One, an absolute, well, no, three things, obviously. A wonder goal by Raphael, a very, very fine goal by the apparently actually ageless Ryan Giggs. And the emergence of a brand new chant uh, that's actually a few years old, but it's caught off in a big way. And oh, 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 it's Carrick, you know, it's hard to believe it's not Skulls. 25 minutes of songs for Michael Carrick. I I waxed lyrical about how happy this made me on our Lost podcast. It's lovely to hear him get his own song at long last, Ed. Well, very much so, and he, and he deserves it. Although, I mean, it's a slightly weird one, of course, because it's quite hard to believe he's not Skulls because he's about six foot two and uh, got brown hair and he's from Newcastle. Yeah, but you know... I mean, you know, just to be a pedant about it. But yeah, very nice to see Michael Carrick getting the recognition his performances over the last couple of years uh, have very much deserved. On the on the other points, um, Ryan Giggs, yep, definitely not ageless, but uh, ageing very well. And Raphael, the best goal he'll ever score by some distance. Best view of that goal from behind the goal, just to watch it flash into the top corner and uh, Julio Cesar completely beaten, barely moved. Yeah, I mean, you can't really use pedantry to attack football chants because Wayne Rooney doesn't play very much like Pelé at all. I'm pretty sure almost everyone that sings that song has something they enjoy doing more than kicking a blue. I don't know about that. Have you kicked a blue recently? Um, No, no. I mean, you know, let's just think this through logically. How many blues have you kicked in the last week? I've never kicked a blue, Ed. Well, there you go. How do you know that you wouldn't enjoy it? I'm pretty confident. Uh, it doesn't doesn't sound like my sort of thing. It doesn't sound like my cup of tea, unlike making a brew, making a brew. What I like best is making a brew. This is because people have said they're sad not to hear the singing, and also some people have said the only good thing about there being no podcast has been no singing. So anyway, that that's almost all the singing for the day. The QPR game was noteworthy also for the fact that United put a really professional performance together and marched on towards this apparently inevitable league title, although after last season it seems crazy to talk about that. But it does feel more and more like that, especially after we tore Norwich apart. A a really, really odd performance from United. Uh, Very flat, actually, in in some ways, and sort of lacking in fluency until we went 2-0 up, at which point we became unstoppable goal machines, and Shinji Kagawa scored one of my favourite hat-tricks in United history. Yeah, love the hat trick. I mean, great first goal, poked it with the outside of his right foot. Second goal, gave the keeper and the entire defence the eyes, and they all went the wrong way as he just kind of rolled it in. Gareth Barry style, he's obviously been learning from the blues across town. And and then uh, a well-taken third. Of course, it flattered United. The, the scoreline for so long in that game, United uh, were 1-0 up and, and not really looking like going to score a cricket score but Norwich caved in in the end United got all those goals and and I think at the time it gave United another 15 point lead we seem to have been bouncing between 12 and 15 points for a few weeks now yeah well we absolutely have because we keep playing before City and then they keep winning their thoroughly winnable games Uh, like Villa away where they didn't manage to pull off the upset we assumed would be the lead in to the uh, Madrid game Kagawa's hat-trick, I mean, you know, 4-0, you can say it flattered United for performance, but that's not really true when you take into account the 90 minutes. It it definitely would have flattered United's first 60 minutes performance, but then um, actually after that they really did genuinely take off and Kagawa was ruthless. And Rooney had a really poor game, but had two assists and a wonder goal. It's a very odd thing to say, but, you know, we kind of thought that that Kagawa hat-trick and Rooney's goal made them pretty much dead certs to start against 
Real Madrid. So I guess we've got to talk about that, which I don't particularly want to talk about. But it was a really, truly extraordinary occasion, and uh, it didn't it didn't finish in our favour. But but much to take pride in from the Reds' performance against Madrid. I thought Ed. Well, yeah, I mean it was it was a fine performance for some time wasn't it from United I mean let's let's go back to right to the beginning Rooney and Kago are left out uh, Rooney pretty surprising really because you know whatever you think of his form in in uh, the last couple of games he's he's still a kind of fulcrum around which United's attacking movement is built and interesting that they didn't really massively change the shape of the United side actually Danny Welbeck ended up playing off Van Persie so uh, Welbeck was just selected ahead of Rooney uh, although Mike Fillion said it was tactical it really wasn't Welbeck was just selected ahead of Rooney there which is pretty surprising given that Welbeck's return of two goals this season is is uh, you know some way behind Rooney's so there's that uh, big shock and then Rangig started didn't half feel sentimental that one uh, and then Nani started not exactly had the best the best of the season so there were some pretty um, you know weird selections I suppose but then United came out and played really really well for the first half hour or so didn't they and and took control of the game yeah, and I think Ferguson essentially proved that Giggs was anything but a sentimental selection, and he brought him on to play a very specific... He played right wing for a lot of the game, which is so peculiar. And he was marking Ronaldo a lot of the time, which I, I genuinely wonder if it was a bit of a psychological trick by Ferguson, because the whole thing was set up. You know, Patrice said, how do you deal with Ronaldo? He was asked. We have to kill him with love. And what is really, truly extraordinary is that kind of worked. So United's Tannoy and Announcer. They they normally announce the names of the players in numerical order, right, through throughout the teams. But this time they didn't. They switched up the Real Madrid team announcement so that Ronaldo's name was at the end of the whole big spiel. And welcome back, number seven, Cristiano Ronaldo. At which point Old Trafford went absolutely nuts. And you could genuinely see it getting to Ronaldo. And I really think he slightly underperformed. I mean, that's what he said of his own performance. And I don't think that was after-the-fact revisionism. I think that's actually what happened. What did you make of his performance and his return and the brouhaha? Well, he scored the winning goal. So, I mean, I, I suppose you could say that um, the, the emotion and the occasion affected him, which, of course, uh, Jose Mourinho said afterwards as well. Um, so maybe it did, but he still scored the winning goal, scored two goals over the two legs. So he was the difference between the two sides. Yeah. I, mm, I don't think he was the difference between the two sides, really. Well, he scored two goals. <laughs> I hate to get all clinical and factual about this, but he, he scored more goals than anyone else over the two <laughs> sides. And, uh, you know, he, he, he got Madrid back into the first leg and he scored a winning goal at Old Trafford on Tuesday night. Yeah, but, like, the goal that he scored at Old Trafford was a tap-in, basically. I mean, it was a smart run or whatever. But there were a few occasions late on in the game where he really had the chance to put it to bed. And I think Ronaldo, his best, certainly would have done, um, but actually didn't really trouble the hair at all. So uh, you're right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, he, he obviously had a, a telling role in the two ties, but he didn't rip United apart as I sort of feared he would. And I actually think United did a really good job tactically, except for the, you know, uh, my broad overall assessment is absolutely full of positives about that tie. Uh, I think the, the tactics, although they seemed 
positively tombola-esque actually turned out to be a really smart, calculated thing that, that was very effective. And actually, if Robin Van Persie had his shooting boots on, then it could have all been so very different, both both in Madrid and at United. And I think we were punished in the end for not taking our chances in the Bernabeu, right? That's That, that was where the tie was lost in, in so many ways, I think. Because we were so effective and, and defensively excellent up until the the point of sending off we obviously nudged in front with that goal which you know that, that doesn't really swing the balance of power of the tie does it when you've got a, a score draw from the away leg, leg and then the home team score that the balance of the tie is not it's not the earth-shaking effect that a goal normally has on a football match well no because Real Madrid still had to score yeah, yeah. I mean look, I know I know what you're saying I mean and, and United were good for the 48 minutes up to the goal that Ramos scored through his, his own net and, and sure the tactics worked and United quite happy to concede possession but managed to you know create chances on the break had quite a number of shots throughout the game really although Madrid also had very many too not quite as many as the 30 odd they had in the first leg of course you know so just about it worked for United and just about United were in there even though Madrid were always a threat and and just about and and absolutely the, the Nani sending off completely changed the complexion of the game as a result. Yeah, and I think whatever you say about the rights and wrongs of the sending off, and to me, I think it's pretty straightforward that in the cold light of day, it's not a sending off, but I can definitely see how the referee would do it. And I think the fact that Nani, after making contact, did the injury feigning thing that players do when they've got a guilty conscience really badly affected his cause because it made the whole thing look worse. But I think the really key thing is there was that kind of sort of weirdly comical shot, then it cut to Fergie and you saw him kind of trying to get up and shoving Albert the hit man out the way and just an absolute ball of rage and then he kind of went to the four corners of the stadium and did a bit of cheerleading as if to say come on we need you let's let's get back into this but Mourinho instantly changed the substitution he was going to make completely shifted the tactical balance of the game and Fergie having out Mourinho'd Mourinho for a leg and a half then suddenly it all went to pot because he didn't do anything about it at that time. Well, uh, that is true, and that's one way of analysing it, that Mourinho got the substitutions right and, and affected the game, which which he did. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's quite fair, though, given that we're playing against uh, one of the sides that really are very good um, in an attacking sense and, and uh, would be able to exploit the extra space that comes with having an extra man, you know. So I'm not sure there's much Ferguson could have done except for go super defensive. Yeah, but I think that both he and the team lost their composure for 10 minutes after that. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm absolutely not having a massive go. Because, as I said, I think I think Ferguson did an, a magnificent job for most of that tie. And the team did a magnificent job for most of that tie. But, you know, we our defending definitely suffered, uh, not from the realities of having 10 men, but from the massive knock to the confidence that everyone clearly took in that moment. Because, you know, we were playing with such bags full of confidence in defence. We were cutting out passes I've not seen us cut out all season. You know, we were playing with this fierce intensity. I saw some uh, a really good write-up of, of the game. Um, I think it might have been by at Elrob, uh, but I read a load of previews all in one go, about, you know, it could come down to the fact that this means 
means more to Madrid than it means to United this tie because they're not in any other competition and this is La Decima and all that business but for us you know the league was nicked off us at the last minute by Man City so this is definitely everyone's kind of second most important tournament this season but the team did not play like that at all the team played like you know excuse the massive cliche but they played like a bunch of Lions they were absolutely fierce and determined and hunted in packs and played with this pressing and intensity when Madrid had possession and really didn't give away any uh, brilliant counter-attacking opportunities until really late in the game. Well, yeah, and that for all those reasons is, is why the, the sending off has sent United into such shock, really. And Ferguson was extremely angry, and 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 rightly so, right? And that's why he wouldn't. He refused to take the press conference afterwards, and he refused to allow any of his players to talk to the press because it was completely and utterly pivotal in a match that United had taken control of. And you know we can't get away from that without wanting to sound bitter or anything like that. It, it's the moment of the two ties that has decided these two ties, right? And without that, uh, just looking objectively at, at how the game was going on Tuesday night, United would have won that game. It didn't look like Madrid could get back into it. And, you know, quite possibly United would have gone on to score more. So the sending off changed it completely. Ferguson reacted in a different way to uh, Mourinho. I'm not sure he had that many choices. It really, the only choice he could have done would be to have gone ultra defensive very, very quickly, sink everyone back in, defend their own box and, and hope that Madrid couldn't use some of their brilliant players to, to score the goals necessary. As it turned out, they actually scored one very fine goal anyway. So it's, you know, it's really, it's really hard to separate out the sending off from the ultimate result it is i i do agree with that obviously but then you know united also had opportunities to make that sending off matter less you know uh, to change the old chaos theory of the game by by taking their chances in madrid and we did wonder how much we would rue them but you know the whole thing is balanced on these these moments did you think he was gonna pull out a red card when all the delay was happening i I must say i i I was not surprised at all to see the red card i I thought i kind of felt it in me waters actually Uh, well i mean i didn't think for a moment it was a red card offense not for even a a slight moment at all i mean you see that kind of thing over and over again you know this is this is not nigel de jong in the world cup final you know against alonso this was a a player who's just trying to control the ball and momentum took him into the opposition player so uh, no from that point of view i didn't think so but but then again this is the champions league and and you do get decisions where there's a kind of controversial physical moment that turn out to be red cards when you wouldn't expect them in the premier league and that's not Nothing to do necessarily foul. It's an interpretation of what's dangerous or not. In the Premier League, uh, there generally has to be some intent plus uh, for it to be dangerous play the potential to injure somebody. And and I don't think that would ever have been a red card in the Premier League. No, I mean, in, in slow motion stuff, it's very clear that he's just doing that thing he does where he jumps and sticks his hand out, foot out in the air to catch the ball and, and legs it up the pitch and then blasts it over mostly. But, you know, sometimes it goes well. Scott from uh, the Republic of Ankenia made the point that really it's kind of comparable with the moment in the first half when Diego Lopez punches Vidic in the head because he's going for the ball and misses and catches the player. So then is that not dangerous player? A a big man swinging his fist at head height. I mean, I guess it's slightly different because Nani's got his boot way up in the air, so it's, it's less natural. But still, you know, the man really did punch Vidic quite hard, didn't he? Well, the point being that Law 12 has always been based around actions, not consequences. And this was the other way around, right? So um, if, if, it's, if it's about 
actions and having your foot at head height is is dangerous just because your foot is at head height it's dangerous then we should have sent Wayne Rooney off for scoring that brilliant overhead kick against Manchester City a few years back if a defender had put his head in the way there he'd taken his head clean off well not literally although he, he would have been literally kicking the blue it's the best thing he could have done <laughs> he's he's always a blue though so that up he he sings that when i when he stubs his toe he sings what what are they ate most is kicking a blue talking of which he, what did you make of the decision to leave him out well, I thought it was pretty bizarre, um, and and look, no matter the fact that he, he didn't play that well against Norwich, he did create two goals and scored an absolute blinder. He's he's the one player that can play in that kind of position and link midfield and attack. He he, I think when he's in the side, United for the most part are a better team. He's still United's most complete and all-round footballer. So for all those reasons, even if he didn't play well in the previous game, he's in there. And tactically speaking, he chases back, he defends, he's he's disciplined enough to drop into midfield. I don't think there's anything that Welbeck gives in that sense. They didn't use Welbeck as the front man to try and stretch the game or anything like that. There wasn't a major change in United's tactics. I mean, you know, a few players in slightly odd positions, like you mentioned, to Ryan Giggs but that's not how they used Welbeck and and really could have played wide if he'd wanted him to do that I mean so for all those reasons it just seemed a little odd uh, of course as it turned out for for you know 50 odd minutes United played really well and the the decision was vindicated because of that um, still seemed pretty odd at the time I think United's man of the tie, the two the two legs, was clearly Danny Welbeck De Gea edging it in the Bernabeu, but uh, Welbeck was excellent there and phenomenal again. And, and he's a big game player, isn't he? He seems to really relish the big occasion, and I thought he was just wonderful again, really. Yeah, but look, let's let's be objective about this. If you were to pick between. Welbeck and Rooney as uh, who is going to cause more damage to your, the opposition who's going to be the most effective who's going to I mean basically who's a better player you pick Rooney every single time you do but then I'm umming and ahhing a bit because I'm struggling to slightly art- to articulate this uh, a slightly half formed thought I have about the fact that it was tactical but not in the sense of the role that was played by Welbeck but the way he would play that role versus the way that Rooney would play that role he obviously gave Madrid's defenders something to think about that they weren't expecting to think about. I mean, one of the things that I do wonder about is how much is Ferguson's treatment of Rooney... I mean, you know, that there's been today in particular, not, not so much yesterday, the day after the tie, but today the papers have been absolutely full of talk of Rooney leaving in the summer and and uh, a lot a lot a lot of mention of his fitness uh, to the extent that I wonder whether Ferguson's people or Ferguson have been briefing about it in the press somehow and there's some briefing and counter briefing going on or if it's just the fact that there's a bunch of column inches to fill today and it's a kind of obvious story well I think it's more of the latter the view that Rooney may well leave at some point has not gone away for nearly three years, right? So, um, or two and a half or so. So it's not like this is a new one. So every time Rooney isn't in the first team, this this one resurfaces again. And and the uh, biggest game of the season, it was inevitable that this would be coming up to the surface again because it's an easy conclusion to make. Now, have Ferguson's people been briefing that he wasn't fair? I'm I'm not sure about that because I, I'm not sure that Ferguson's is ever that underhand. You know, he's he, he doesn't feel the need to justify his decisions in the press like that, and he, he disdains the fact that he has to justify any of his selection decisions uh, in the media. So I'm, I'm not sure I buy the that any theory that Ferguson somehow needs to slander Rooney if he's fallen out with him he's he's just not going to play him you know and then he'll get rid of him at the end of the season 
it doesn't appear that there's any suggestion of that though so we'll see I, I i suspect it's two and two equals five doesn't mean that rooney won't go at some point though because there's long been a feeling that united would cash in and we've talked about that many many times yeah absolutely a fascinating decision to start with nanny who's been so out of favor of the team and actually cleverly hasn't played for a long time either and it's almost like there, there's been a lot of like there's quite a lot of surprise that fergie played rooney and uh, rvp are uh, against norwich but now the more that i think about it because I, I i kind of wondered why he did that the more that i think about it the more i think actually he's trying to play rvp back into form and he doesn't think that he needs a rest he needs because robin since that first leg uh, against madrid has not been playing to his usual in impeccable standards right well he scored once in eight and actually i think he looks a bit tired so i I wonder whether rest wouldn't actually help him more to the point i wonder if a rest would not have already helped him you know if he hadn't played against norwich would he have been able to be more effective against madrid but you know these there's so many what ifs the what if nanny hadn't played and kago had played uh, instead but i think i think basically the way things went until that sending off you can't really argue with any of the decisions ferguson made because we were in control of the tie until a refereeing error forced us to play with one less man against madrid now there's a broad point i have I wanted to make really which is that if you and I had had a conversation and in fact I think we may have had a similar conversation to this at the beginning of the season about what would happen if United met Real Madrid in the knockout stages of the Champions League this season I think both of us would have felt that there would have been a very significant tangible difference in quality between the sides and actually we would have been quite badly exposed against Madrid and you have to well I, I you don't have to say anything for me I have to say that Manchester United right now today are definitely a better side than I thought they were. And it's not that they're flawless by any means. It's not that there aren't problems with the squad. But there is an awful lot right right now. Perhaps more than there has been since Ronaldo left. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because the, the results pro- prove the opposite theory wrong, don't they? You know, I, if you'd given me uh, United v Real Madrid as a potential round of 16 tie a few months ago, I'd have said that uh, Real Madrid would have probably smashed United and, and they were a, a good chunk better. But... Hasn't turned out to be the case. You know, Ferguson, for the most part, got his tactics pretty spot on. I mean, pretty negative in the first leg and and trying to control in the in the second leg. But he got it right. He, he got it right. He's he's eking out the maximum possible from this side, and, and there are definite flaws. But it's really hard to argue with twelve points ahead in the Premier League, a quarter final in the FA Cup coming up against Chelsea, uh, and uh, very very unlucky not to beat Real Madrid in the round of sixteen in the Champions League. So. Hard to argue with any of that. This is clearly a good side. Uh, I'd still argue it's not Ferguson's best ever. Of course, if United win the double from here, having been very unlucky unlucky to be knocked out of the Champions League, then, then I'll be proved wrong on that one too. Yeah, I mean, um, not not the best ever. I, I think, you know, I, I think what this team is aiming for is third best ever, you know, because that's the, that's the position that's available. I think you, your 93-94 team and your 98-99 team are your one and two, right? And and 2008 is probably at the moment in, in third place. And, and that's the one that, that maybe is, is, is turnoverable. That's a terrible phrase, but you know what I mean. Um, overturnable, the the Ronaldo United. But we we might still win the double, and the 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 position we're in the league is just ridiculously good. And I I have to say, I, like I wasn't really complacent about the league at all. I haven't been at all complacent about the league until after the Madrid game, and I was like, oh, it's all right, we'll win the league. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, what if we don't win the league? That'd be terrible. 
Before we move on to the, the season ahead, I mean, I think it'd be good to talk about some of the punditry because it is caused some controversy here. One Royston Keane saying that uh, the referee absolutely got it right and, and uh, some ex-Reds coming out and saying uh, he's just jealous and he's seeking attention. What, what, what do you make of this one? I don't think he's jealous or seeking attention. I think he's just being Roy Keane, you know. I think he was in a bad mood and he has got... I, I don't know. I, I don't like to speak for him because I don't I don't know him. But I definitely think he's he has some pretty negative feelings towards Sir Alex and, and United as an institution because of the way it went down with him. And it seems weird for Roy Keane to be saying, oh, that was... Yeah, I agree with the ref. That was a red because pretty sure his career was pretty rife with things that he would have... If I think if he'd done it and been sent off for it he wouldn't have been too happy uh, that's for sure well no quite and nor any of his players either I'm not sure there's too many other pundits that have said it should have been red and plenty of managers and players have come out and said it's it was a pretty ridiculous decision in fact I think really there's only two camps that think it should have been a red and that's uh, supporters uh, of a nature other than United and Roy Keane yeah who I think is a supporter of nature other than United but I'm not going to suddenly like lose all respect for Roy Keane like if you're going to have held Roy Keane in any kind of esteem you've got to understand that there's an inherent ambivalence in in Roy Keane you know he is not a straightforward character he never has been a straightforward character and you know the the kind of combative ferocious will to be right and will to win was what everybody loved about him so it seems a bit like now he's sort of become a pundit and has a sort of some sort of point to prove and maybe maybe he does have a bit of bitterness towards Sir Alex but in his defense I think he was treated pretty shoddily by the club so one of the other pundits that said some interesting things was Graham Poley, the referee, ex-referee, now mouthpiece, who said that uh, far from being punished, the Turkish referee Kunyet Keki, I'll say that right, because uh, lose a couple of word- letters there and uh, you might get a more appropriate description. Far from being punished, he'd be congratulated by UEFA because UEFA is on this bent to rid the game of any kind of physical contact, uh, which is an interesting analysis of it that that although managers and players worldwide think this is a nonsense because Nani is clearly trying to just control the ball that UEFA wants to get any physical nature out of the game anything dangerous they want to rid from the game and and that uh, they'll be happy with that red card Gosh, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting take on things. I, I, United have not been charged by UEFA for any kind of distribute stuff. And actually, I, I, to be honest, I think if we'd been charged, we would not have had a leg to stand on because the team. But you know, we we all made fun of Chelsea for what happened after that Barcelona game, uh, and United were no better. Rio, Rio Ferdinand sarcastically applauding the referee at the end of the game. I always think that's the best one, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's just a take down the referee with mocking. <laughs> I mean, because, yeah, they surrounded the ref. There was uh, clearly anger from Ferguson, who was uh, not exactly polite to the fourth official. And uh, the sarcastic applause and and all of that. And then, of course, you know, the, the failure to fulfil media duties afterwards. Not that I really care too much about that one. But, yeah, sure, you know, I don't think United have behaved that well. But then the decision was so shocking that it would have been yeah there'd been a remarkable amount of self-control to have not behaved that way let's put it like that i don't think they should be pilloried or anything for it but i think if a uefa charge had been labeled you wouldn't i'm sure united fans would have been outraged but i don't 
really think he'd have much of a leg to stand on actually um but it hasn't happened so we've we've been let off that for some reason i, I want to go back to ronaldo just briefly i have to say that the whole thing i was left i was left more moved than i expected to be by uh, ronaldo's in the interaction between ronaldo and the crowd first of all as well i've got to say the atmosphere at old trafford was i mean i only watched it on telly sadly but it looked just m- genuinely magical like um i barely remember it being like that for such a long time and and the you know it just it was just the ground was completely transformed it felt like a completely different place Rio said it was the loudest he'd ever experienced anywhere in his career which I mean I don't know if, if he's partly obviously going to big up United fans or whatever but but it was it was incredible right well, yeah, I mean, yeah, fantastic atmosphere, and, and it takes a night like that to generate that kind of atmosphere at Old Trafford these days. Because Rhea's played in Turkey, and that there's some interesting fans there, so I'm not quite sure United fans are quite like that. When we're in Old Trafford three hours before the game making that kind of noise, <laughs> uh, when, when United are about to play Wigan in the League Cup... <laughs> Under 12's version, then we're the same. Then that's proper fandom. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a little bit of that, wasn't there? There was a bit of lit, like, I was all very well getting up for the one against Madrid, but I think rather than bemoan the fact that we don't do it against Wigan, I, I kind of want to celebrate the fact that it happened at all. But the, the Ronaldo thing, I, I don't know, there was, there was something really special about it. And, you know, neither of us are Ronaldo fanboys by any stretch of the imagination, you know? I always found him very difficult to take at the club because of his because he's Ronaldo but he's an incredible player and all that sort of thing and all that's completely obvious but there was something about the way that the crowd responded to his arrival and his response to that and his kind of the the muted celebration for the goal and that's you know it's all much of a muchness and then at the end of the game again very kind of muted and very clearly uh, affected by the esteem that United fans hold him in and the kind of outpouring of unconditional love that he's not necessarily felt elsewhere and all this by way of saying Chevrolet sign him up Chevrolet Chevrolet sign him up Right. Well, look, you've you've made the analogy before, saying it's like an ex an ex girlfriend who's going out with another man. You know, it's it can't quite get over him. It's worse than that. It's an ex girlfriend going out with another man who's who's taken us on a, a date after many years, a- and on the side while we're having this date has been chatting up another bloke at the bar, right? Because he scored two goals to knock United out. So let's not pretend there's all this love. Yeah, we gave him all the love. He still knocked us out. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But that's his job, isn't it? But I, I don't know. I just I thought it was different than I expected. That's the thing that 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 it had more genuine heart in it than I expected. Ah, uh, he's charmed you. He, he's used his charm, but really, on the side, he's been going out with another bloke. If you get my meaning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he can do that, can't he? That's the thing. I just thought it was worthy of note. Uh, it, it was it was clearly a noteworthy experience, the whole thing. But I guess we have to pick it ourselves up and move on. Much like you have to when that good-looking ex who was no good for you anyway goes off with another man. Uh, you've got to do it when your football team loses. And in order to help you, the listeners to the United Rant podcast, move on from this tragic event, I bring good news. And that is that we've got a fan fantastic prize to give away on twitter you can find uh, this gentleman at chinatown branch and uh, you can also find him at chinatownbranch.com an artist called brendan higgins who paints the most spectacular i don't i'm not i don't know much about art but i know what i like as they say uh, but i'm going to use the word impressionistic images of united and old trafford and uh, just 
absolutely phenomenal and Brendan's been kind enough to say that he'll be happy to give away a set of uh, three prints to the Rantcast listener who best answers the question which artist best reflects your favourite United player and why Um, and uh, use the hashtag Rantcast to submit your answer to that question and head over to Chinatown Branch Chinatownbranch.com lots of different very beautiful uh, images over there but you'll find all the United stuff in a a gallery on its own and uh, yeah Brendan will ship out three prints uh, if you uh, answer that question which artist best reflects your favourite United player and why you'd send that answer and me and Ed will pick our favourite and our favourite will win three prints well, I mean, it's going to have to be Mark Grosko because there's something deeply moving but slightly insane about it. And clearly my favourite player is Royston Keane. That's good. That's good. I, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious for me, but he's got to be French, right? And his output has got to be mercurially beautiful in a way that's hard to get your head around unless you see it in person. Monet as Eric Cantona. You, of course, we've taken, you know, a couple of excellent examples there and ruined it for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, check out Chinatownbranch.com to have a look at the prizes that you could win. And if you don't win the prizes, they're very reasonable uh, prints and beautiful paintings. So so check that stuff out. I'm a, I'm a really a genuinely a huge fan. All right. Very good. You know, let's not toss each other off just yet, though. <laughs> Gross. All right. So we should do some Twitter questions. We did. So we've done. I have. Seriously, like in the week, not not last week's Rankcast, but the week before, when all the games we had to talk about was a review of QPR and a preview of Norwich, I did so many Twitter questions. I hope that Ed one day cuts them together and releases them as a Twitter question special. It's about half an hour's worth, but we can't do that tonight, unfortunately. Uh, no, we can't. I, I will be retiring podcasts 144 and 145, of course. They'll be the lost <laughs> podcast that will release posthumously. So this is 146 then? Yeah, of course. That's good. <laughs> I love it. I mean, we've still got half of 145 and all of 144. 144 could, in fact, be released in its entirety one day. Shinji Kagawa scored a hat-trick of magnificent beauty against Norwich. And I, I described it earlier as one of my very favourite hat-tricks of all time at Manchester United. And, and it was because of the, the majesty of the finishing, really. And also the fact that all the goals were sort of really really nice build-up play. Just just lovely. And, and it was the kind of coming-of-age of Kagawa to make a really obvious point about it. And at Thomas Stafford, creator of the greatest Manchester United chant-related pun, of all time the football taught by Bill Cosby asks what was your favourite United hat-trick I don't know if it's my favourite of all time but it's certainly my favourite of recent years Dimitar Berbatov's hat-trick against Liverpool uh, because it contained a goal that would have been goal of the season if Rooney's hadn't pulled off a slightly better overhead kick about three weeks later or whatever it was and the fact that Gerrard got uh, Liverpool back into it and kissed the badge and then Berbatov scored his hat-trick and he was so maligned and you know not exactly taken to heart by all the United faithful that for him to score a hat-trick against Liverpool was particularly pleasing well of course I could pick Michael Owen against VFL Wolfsburg. <laughs> but I won't. But I won't because I'm not sure that's my real favourite. Let's be honest about it. You know, it's not the best ever. Dwight York's against Arsenal when United scored six was absolutely fantastic. And I was there that day. Very, very good hat trick indeed. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer scored uh, not three, but four right at the end of the Nottingham Forest game when United scored eight a few years back. That was another fine one. 
but probably my favourite was the uh, Andrei Konchelskis hat-trick against Manchester City in 1994 uh, when United won 5-0 and, and you know it was all those years after City had scored 5 and finally United kind of turned the tables and, and did it again and, and uh, ended 5 years of hurt yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty good one. Honourable mention, you mentioned hat-tricks against Arsenal. Honourable mention for Lee Sharp with a back-in-the-day hat-trick. Was that in the Rumbelows Cup? It, it certainly was. That was fine. He scored a, scored a fine goal with his right foot into the top corner, I seem to remember. Yeah, that was pretty special. And uh, you mentioned Ollie's Hall, 10-minute uh, hall. Let's call it what it was, legendary 10-minute hall against Nottingham Forest. But I think also that time when Andy Cole scored about 400 goals against Ipswich in the league uh, that one time. That was pretty cool too. At Red Zeppelin 7 asks one word. I'm not clear if this is a question or a comment or both. It's all in capital letters and it's ended by a full stop. And he simply says, bail. Of hay? Yeah, he, he's been really, 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 really good lately, Ed. And I'm, I'm eyeing him up avariciously. Well, I'm sure you are, but I suppose his price of around 50 million, plus the fact that they just won't do business with United nicely, uh, and apparently Bale fancies a, a, a jaunt in La Liga, means that he, he's almost certainly going out. So actually, I think Spurs will hold on to him for one more year, because it looks like they're going to end up in the Champions League. And even if they don't, I think they'll do a Modric and hold out for as long as possible. And uh, well, he's only, what, 23 or 24, so there's time for both Spurs and Bale, and then they'll flog him to the highest bidder, which will probably be from abroad. I hope it's us though, Ed, I really do. I think he's got, he's a player in the United mould, I believe that, for no particularly rational reason. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think we mentioned this before when we were chatting about it. I I always thought he was a pretty rubbish left back, uh, and then he he converted into an even more rubbish left winger. And and then all of a sudden, he's become an absolutely outstanding left winger. I I have to say, I didn't see that one coming. Are you Harry? Are you Harry? Are you Harry in disguise? At Jack K. Holt asks, Ryan Giggs, what have you ever done a thousand times? Come on, this is a family show. Uh, for me, I, I I think attempted to record an episode of a podcast which hasn't come out, although I haven't done it a thousand times. At the moment, it kind of feels like I have. Do you think we'll make it to a thousand podcasts? Can you calculate how many years, how, how long we'll be doing this one? About three years or so. Yeah, three years. For 150-ish podcasts. First series, we sort of, we weren't exactly churning them out every epi- every week. Well, let, let's say we do 40 a year, yeah. and, and we need to get another 850 under our belts. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good quarter of a century <laughs> of recording podcasts. Unless, unless um, philanthropist, you know, maybe has made a few billion in software or social networks or pornography fancy sponsoring us to do two podcasts a day then we'll we'll get through in no time yeah i think essentially us being able to at least go part-time in our day jobs i wouldn't want to quit mine altogether but yeah uh, without that it, it seems to me to be what can only be described as a mathematical long shot something which is not quite such a mathematical long shot but still anything but a foregone conclusion is manchester united's progress in the fa cup all reds wanted to win this tournament this season as far as i could work out the collective consciousness of Manchester United fandom rose up as one and as if to say, Fergie, please take this seriously. We haven't won the, the FA Cup for ages and it'd be really nice if we could win it because it's so fun when you win the FA Cup. And we've got the biggest obstacle imaginable uh, coming our way. Rafa Benitez is unstoppable Chelsea side. Well, right, and, and, and Chelsea caused a major shock by knocking out Middlesbrough last time. An even more major shock than Chelsea winning at Middlesbrough. Torres scored. Chelsea are in weird disarray, but they're not 
on the worst run of form they've ever been in and they've got some pretty fantastic players and you'd think that their sort of rather spoiled discontented dressing room would get itself together for this one because uh, this is their season on the line right well it is yeah and, and you know look they've had pretty decent results recently I mean they got pretty easily turned over at Manchester City a couple of weeks back didn't they but I mean I don't think anyone was particularly surprised about that one uh, they've not been doing great in the Euro- Europa League I suppose uh, you know who really cares about the Europa League they face a struggle to get that third place in the in the Premier League or, or maybe even not make it into the Champions League at all I suppose but it will be a tough game because this is as you say Chelsea's season all over there's some really bizarre stuff going on at Stamford Bridge though I mean interesting analysis uh, I thought on Rafa Benitez um, uh, one of his former colleagues said that uh, one of the things about Rafa Benitez is that he needs total control he demands it and he had a unique situation at Anfield where he got that because the management was the executive management was in total disarray he's got the exact opposite at Chelsea where there's not a power vacuum at all there's no chance of him grabbing power Uh, he will always be dictated to by those above him and he can't do what he wants so uh, it was always going to lead to a situation where he went on a rant which is exactly what he did a couple of weeks ago and said some very bizarre stuff and if Chelsea fans could hate him any more than they did they do now well me and you clearly represent the polar opposite opinions of Rafa's rant that have been reflected in the uh, media ever since it happened I actually thought it was a perfectly reasonable retort to the Chelsea fans saying, what are you doing? You're ruining your team season. Don't worry about me. I'm not even going to be here at the end of the season. So just get on with supporting the team and and just just forget about me because it's not worth your time. It's a waste of your time. Don't waste your time with banners. It's just a waste of your time. Said that quite a lot. And that's the point I'm making. And in a slightly amusing way. Rafa clearly feels that the Chelsea fans are wasting their time directing their ire at him and I think he's right to be honest he got this interim job title which obviously he accepted as being his job title so that's kind of his fault but what, what is he supposed to do the Chelsea fans are making it really hard for their team at Stamford Bridge as far as I can work out there's a really weird atmosphere and it's sort of I remember the the, the Carling Cup semi-final the League Cup semi-final when Iv- Ivanovic made all his mistakes it was just after I think Big Frank was warming up on the touchline and there was you know, sort of strange atmosphere around the ground, and it literally translated onto the pitch. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Rafa is he's just so easy to mock, and I think that doesn't help him. I don't know whether you notice this, but if you look at any article on the BBC about Rafa Benitez or Chelsea, they'll have a picture of Rafa making a really ridiculous face. Um, there's one where it looks like he's on the touchline, but he's he's desperately trying to squeeze crimp one off, right? Because because he's so constipated, he hasn't been to the loo in at least a couple of weeks. But at the same time, he's been eating steaks every night. You know, he, he just looks in desperate, desperate pain. <laughs> There's one where he's doing a bit of Joey style from the Friends smell the fart acting and going, oh, it's all calm. (laughs) There's one where he's got his mouth wide open like someone is going to shove their fist in there. And there's one where he's he's got this hangdog expression and his eyes closed where he's obviously doing some kind of media interview, but he looks like the dog out of the Churchill Insurance adverts, you know? And it's just a series of pictures mocking Rafa Benitez because that's what he's there for. He's there to mock. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you're Guillaume Balaguer, who has now become one step removed and is now there to mock when Rafael Benitez does something stupid. Well, he's become a proxy for Benitez because, you know, I, I don't know, are they brothers from another mother or something? You know, they, they seem sealed at the hip. There's there's no finer PR exponent for Rafa Benitez than Guillaume Balaguer. I mean, if Rafa Benitez took a shit in the Stamford Bridge pitch, Guillaume Balaguer would be there with a cloth to clean it up. 
I mean, it's funny though, because United fans have gone from holding up Guillaume Balaguer as the be-all and end-all expert on Spanish football from last season when he was defending De Gea and using him as that, that kind of example all through the season. And now he's defending Benitez, so it doesn't suit our interest, so he's just a Spanish buffoon. Are you saying that football fans are fickle? <laughs> yeah, I am, and I hate it. It's really silly. Why can't everybody just grow up and act like, you know, sensible grown-up people and apply the same moral logic they do to their own teams they do to other teams it's never going to happen is it so so what about a game i mean united's got to bounce back from defeat to real madrid on tuesday night that's going to be pretty tough i presume there'll be some changes but look this is an important competition now i know i know united miles and miles ahead in the premier league but in many ways that makes this game even more important because look chances are united are going to win the premier league it'd be a massive massive screw up to not do it now and the fa cup's important we haven't won it for nearly a decade and that's not acceptable is it no, it's not, because as I said in my uh, pretend wine earlier, it's really fun winning the FA Cup. It's ace, you know, it's brilliant. And the last, my last memory of United in an FA Cup final was so agonisingly painful and horrible and unjust, you know. I felt that injustice, weirdly, way more than the injustice of the Madrid game, because even though we were on top, I never really thought it was impossible that Madrid would get back into that with 11 versus 11. But Arsenal never, ever deserved to win that game. No, no, it's utterly disgraceful victory if you can call it that for Arsenal and we were definitely the moral victors that day <laughs> for sure this one is a big game I think it's it's the perfect bounce back game from Madrid because they're a serious serious opponent but we're better than them that's that's the perfect balance of it you know and it's a cup tie so there can be no complacency the team have got to get immediately back up for it and you'd think that it's going to be difficult for the players uh, the atmosphere is going to be nowhere near what it was on Tuesday night even a pretty decent atmosphere for some Sunday afternoon game against a big rival it just feels like it's weird isn't it you we're playing Chelsea who for the last five out of the last seven years or whatever have been our biggest title rivals and they just it feels like you know after the Lord Mayor's show rolling into town well yes it is and even though it's Chelsea maybe Benitez will say something ridiculous in the next couple of days and it'll get everyone up for it that'd be nice you know actually I hope hope United score and en masse they go to the Chelsea bench and do the Benitez you know the kind of cross your hands it's all over dance <laughs> that was a memorable one that one and anything to mock Benitez and, and get through to the semi-final this is a great opportunity for United because Chelsea are a good side but they're not a great side they are in some disarray and you've got to doubt whether Benitez can get them up for this tie in the right way I mean yeah but I, I do think their kind of trophy lust will get them up for the, the tie as well and, and they might sense that it's a bit of a good a decent moment to face United at because it could go two ways couldn't it you've got the wounded animal thing or the sort of slightly well wounded animal who's not angry but is just slightly less affected you know Le- effective even like, that was a terrible analogy but you know what I mean either we're going to be good or we're not going to be good there you go Alanisis yeah super stuff that well I, I think United will win it's a cliche, Ferguson says it all the time, but there'll be a desire to bounce back, some some kind of desperate need for some justice for what happened, and I don't think United will crumble after what happened on Tuesday. Uh, I think there's enough determination in this side to achieve good things this season after last season, and as a result, I, I don't think there'll be a negative reaction from Tuesday. I think it'll be a positive one, and as a result, United will win, even though there will be some changes. Of course, it'd be really interesting, will Rooney play? Because if he doesn't, it's only going to intensify the stories in the 
papers. Yeah, I think given the way that he, unless he really does want Rooney out in the summer, the the way that Fergie handled the extra speculation around De Gea was to play him and put an end to it. So even though it was an FA Cup tie and he may otherwise, in the natural order of things, have rotated Lindegaard back in, I, I can't help thinking that even if he was planning to think about not playing Rooney, if he is serious about keeping him, he will play him because they don't really want another week of that sort of, that being the story. I'm fascinated, fascinating to see the lineup in this one. This is another week until the next league game, and the next league game is Reading at home. So you, you would think that he's got every reason to play the best possible side in the FA Cup. There really is. No one needs to be rested, basically. I mean, I think there will be changes anyway, because it's a different game and, and different tactics required and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and United can be a little more positive if that's the right word. I mean, certainly you expect United to be on the front foot and, and uh, retaining the ball much more than against Madrid. So that all points to some changes, but I think it should be a very strong side. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if, I mean, I think there'll be obviously numerous changes from the Madrid game because it was such a an unusual team selection. But I, I can't help wondering whether he'll play Hernandez, given Hernandez has been out of the team for such a long time. Robin really does need a rest, or looks like he does to me anyway. Uh, and also Hernandez scores against Chelsea. Yes, I think you're right. I think uh, Van Persie won't play and uh, that'll give him 10 days off before the Reading game effectively and, and that's the right decision. So yeah, and, and Hernandez does score against Chelsea. I think uh, Hernandez and Rooney will play up front as a result. Uh, very interesting. I cannot wait for this one. It'd be great to be watching United at Old Trafford again. How were you? How did you feel after that game? I felt angry at the decision and disappointed by the result. I think that's uh, probably the two emotions that most United fans felt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and overall, I mean, I, I had those two feelings. And, you know, I'm I'm stupid and sentimental. You know me, right? Uh, I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly proud. Like, proud to me bones um, of the the performance United put together over two legs against Madrid and, and just it just that tie has really made and, and the rest of the season as well but that tie in particular has really made me reassess where this United team is at and I think they're basically better than I thought they were well of course if they really were that good they'd have beaten Madrid <laughs> <laughs> Sending off on a, I, I, hate, I hate to bring it back to some facts like that one about R- Ronaldo actually scoring twice. No, but this this is different because uh, my my thing is not that it turns out we're better than Madrid. It turns out we're not as badly, not as good as Madrid as I thought. That, that makes no sense at all. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You know, you, you, you thought there was a gap between United and Madrid and it turns out there isn't. And, and that's a, that's perfectly fair assessment. United are a better side than I think many fans thought. And and that one is proven in the results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I know we've got to finish, but very quickly, the last thing I wanted to say about that is two seasons ago, we were absolutely taught a footballing lesson by Barcelona. And then Fergie said, we've got to do whatever we can, can to get closer to Barcelona. Then the team very clearly regressed. And last season, even though we lost the season the league on goal difference on the la- with the last kick of the season essentially it was still clearly a transitional season for United you know it was transition from the team that was in 2009-10-ish to the team that he's got now and it's a profoundly different team it plays in a very different way and it is it is on the verge of being yet another truly great Sir Alex Ferguson team and I did not see that coming and I feel stupid for not seeing it coming because it comes every time yes well we'll see you know nothing's actually won yet that's what that's why I said on the verge of yes exactly exactly well uh, let's let's hope that after the weekend we're on the verge of a FA Cup final by yeah, being in a semi-final that's a that's that's a really great segue there. Smooth stuff, Ed. It's because I've been out of practice for a couple of weeks. You know, you 
can't, can't record a podcast. So uh, I'm expecting a United win. Uh, we haven't done predictions yet, so I'm going to say a 2-0 United win um, at the weekend and safely through to the FA Cup semi-finals. I'll go with 3-1. Why not be crazy? I've finally got a prediction right in the Real Madrid game in the podcast that was never released, and uh, it was one I really didn't want to get right. I tell you what, um, if you want to get us uh, in between now and the next time we release a podcast, which, let's face it, could be any amount of time under the sun, the way things have been going, you can get me on Twitter at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. Get us both. Well, mm, neither of us, most likely, but occasionally one of us at Facebook.com slash United Rant. You can get us both at UnitedRant.co.uk. And if you have missed the show so much that you think we should quit our jobs and make podcasts full time, head over to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. And thank you very, very much to everyone that's done that so far. I tell you who is going to be central, as he has been to everything good that Manchester United have done this season, to our chances of getting to an FA Cup semi-final, and who won't be rested, even though he's played game after game after game after game. You know who that is, Ed? Who's it? It's Carrick. You'll never believe it's not scores.